Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 473 for February 1st, 2019. On today's show, saxophonist and bassoonist Ben Wendell. I made January's Patreon bonus episode available to the general public, and the reason I did that is because I want all of you who are listeners but not yet members to be able to check it out. You'll find it at thejazzsession.com. It's the post right before this one. It's got a new format, lots of cool content. It's got bonus material from my recent interview with Tim LaFave, a review of Winter Jazz Fest, and a whole lot more. So please check it out. Again, it's available to everyone. If you like what you hear and you want to receive bonus episodes every month and also help me keep making this show, you can become a member for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash the jazz session. So you can find the bonus episode either right before this one in your podcast feed, or you can also find it at the jazz session.com in the post right before this one. Thanks. Ben Wendell released a series of YouTube duets over the course of a year, a couple years back, for a project called Seasons. He recently reimagined those pieces with a full band and released an album called Seasons. Ben and the Seasons band are on tour this month. Here, appropriately enough, is the tune February. guest is Ben Wendell. His most recent recording is called The Seasons. And Ben, it's great to have you back on the Jazz Session. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into the history of The Seasons, but just wanted to start right off the top by letting folks know that uh, The Seasons band is touring this month in February, uh, and you have a bunch of chances to see them if you're uh, kind of out toward the, the West and Midwest, and we'll talk about that more uh, toward the end of the interview, but you can go to uh, to benwendell.com and find out more. Um, so Ben, you know, pretty much every record has a backstory, but this record has a really <laughs> more of a backstory than most, I think it's fair to say, um, in that it really didn't even start as, as a record. It feels like it is kind of a, a project inspired by one thing that grew into another that then became inspired by another thing that grew into even more. It just, it feels like once the spark started, it just, the, the, the life of this thing just kept evolving. So maybe you could tell folks about 
those very earliest days and how the seasons began. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I'll try and do this in the shortest way possible. Uh, basically, a, a couple things were happening all at once. Uh, one, I was starting to think about how art is shared with the world now versus 100 years ago and how the platforms from which we share music, for example, uh, keeps changing. And so that was on my mind a lot uh, back in 2013, 2014. I was reading articles about that, people talking about how maybe what we call the traditional album may not exist at a certain point as like streaming was becoming more prevalent. Uh, you know, people talking about how when people go to listen to music, most people go to YouTube first. So there's like, you know, I, all of this was kind of in the back of my mind. Right around that same time, my, my wife introduced me to um, a set of music by the classical composer Tchaikovsky called The Seasons. And uh, this was a set of 12 pieces that he wrote for a music magazine back in the, the 1800s. And during that time, the, the music magazine, the, the, the way that they were trying to encourage subscribers to sign up is they, they said, if you sign up each, each month, you'll get this new composition by Tchaikovsky, which I thought was so clever. And then I was also thinking about, well, what would that look like now? How would that, what would that idea look like now? And um, in the case of Tchaikovsky, and, did they mean you would get the sheet music for it? it the, the composition exactly. would be printed in the magazine, right? Just to, so we kind of put things in exactly. context. Totally. Totally. So, so all of those things were like kind of roaming around in my head. And at that point, I, I realized that I wanted to try and do an experiment where I would release music uh, more in a, in a sort of streaming type way, which was I, I wasn't just going to drop 12 pieces on some type of standardized album. I wanted to actually spread it out over a period of time and make it more like a, a, a living, breathing conversation. Now, Nowadays, that's kind of now a lot of people are doing that. But even just you know five years ago, which which in internet time is like a hundred years ago, <laughs> this kind of this kind of was like this wasn't something a lot of people were doing or had thought of. And um, I just got really excited at the idea. I, and and not only that, but I I knew deliberately I wasn't going to make this a traditional album. Like I, I didn't want to. It was really going to be like an art art for art's sake project i i just wanted to put it up on youtube i wanted to work with this great director that i found named alex chaloff i wanted to make these little vignettes that were gonna give you sort of a a sense of the scene nowadays and i wanted to create kind of variety of diversity in the artists that i was working with both in terms of generations in terms of instruments in terms of moods uh kind of reflecting this idea of the passage of time and the, and the different months and so, yeah, so all of that came together, and um, I started thinking about uh, my peers. I started thinking about some of my heroes, uh, the sort of individual voices, individual identities, and I decided to write these sort of chamber jazz duets for these different musicians. And that was, that was it. So I, I, put, I started posting those videos. By the end of the year, uh, the New York Times listed it as one of the best albums of the year, but specifically said this is one of the best albums of the year, but it's not actually an album. And <laughs> and I really I, I really loved that. 
and and I really lo- that was Nate Chinnon that wrote that, and I really loved that he got it that that this wa- this wasn't an album, and people kept asking, well, where's the album? Where can I hear this? And I said, no, 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 it's just there. That's it. And uh, I never toured it. I didn't monetize it. I didn't do anything like that. I just wanted to try something different. Now, that being said, in the back of my mind, I always imagined at some point I would find a way to actually bring this music on the road and create a way to actually put it in, in, a, in a thing that we call an album, <laughs> it's a traditional album. And the on the road um, piece of it would have seems like it would have necessitated some changes given that. Uh, either that, or you would tour with a dozen people all the time, which exactly is a it would lot, be impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. L- let alone the guests that I had. I mean, I'm not right. going to be able to book, you know, Joshua Redman and all these different, you know. So um, a couple years passed, and um, actually, you know, what happened is, I think I, it's a sort of rough guess, but basically, there was a great New York Times article that came out about the seasons and that project. And about a week later, I got a text from um, Jed over at the Village Vanguard. And he just said, I saw that article, congrats. Um, you know, I think this will lead to nice things. And I, I was so excited <laughs> to, get, to get a note from this, from this club, you know, this, this sort of this, this holy mecca of jazz, the Village Vanguard, which I've been going to for years. And eventually, I got an invitation to leave my own group there. And that's when I thought to myself, okay, this is perfect. Like, literally, when do you get the chance to work with a band and work on a set of music for six nights in a row, two sets a night? Like, that, that, that was something that obviously happened a lot in the good old days, but doesn't really happen anymore. So I, I decided at that point that was the perfect opportunity to actually re-orchestrate this music for a working quintet and actually workshop it at the Vanguard and then record it, and then that would be the album. So I put the band together, and as you know, the band uh, was actually comprised of guests from the original video series. I had Eric Arnold on drums, Matt Brewer on bass, Aaron Parks on piano, Gilad Hexman on guitar. And we recorded that uh, early last year, and then it was released uh, fall of last year.
know, I've read a thousand think pieces about the death of the album, um, and yeah. I think it's probably important, at least for some folks, to point out that the album is a really recent invention. Like, it's not even oh, as yeah. old as recorded music by any stretch of the imagination, because the technology to record things at what we now consider album length, I mean, that existed only, you know, a couple decades before I was born. So this is not, we're not talking about, you know, oh, it's been this way for 200 years. I mean, it's it's pretty recent. Things came out in pieces before that. A lot of the great novels that we know and love, they came out as chapters, you know, in literary magazines and things like that. I mean, it, there used to be a time when when this what when what you're doing was kind of considered more the norm and then the album was created and then that became like the only possible way to do anything and then technology advanced and we realized oh well, actually there are other ways to consume music again and yeah, i know a lot of people absolutely. kind of they kind of bemoan yeah. like oh what happened to the album and well there was a time when there weren't albums and then there was a time when there were albums and now you can have either one which i think is kind of cool personally yeah i completely agree and and you know and i think that's just going back to the original point I was making, which is what, what I was thinking about at that time was just, you know, the one constant through all of this is you have the art and the art is being shared <laughs> and the, and the method in which it's being shared and, and, and whether it's in chunks or in a full, you know, piece or, you know, it's constantly shifting through the centuries. And, uh, and so that, to me, this is a, just a really interesting time. And I, and I'm trying to, be sensitive to honestly like how even i consume music at this point you know the the that project was a reflection of even even you know i just noticed that when people told me about new artists i noticed that i was going to youtube first <laughs> sure so so i i i it was also just a reflection of well i guess i mean i'm this is kind of even how i would want to experience music at this at this moment in time you know so so anyway it's ironically uh, you know, doing doing this project and doing it that way, you know, this this is a project that actually is a statement that is comprised of twelve pieces and has like a beginning, middle, and end, and it is is about time and the passage of time. So it's it's kind of funny to me that I originally released it sort of piecemeal, but in fact, it's supposed to be this one whole statement. Uh, so you know, finally putting it on a quote unquote traditional album uh, made a lot of sense to me. And how much did you need anyone to realize that while it was being released? Or how much did you make an effort to help people realize that kind of while it was being released in its original format, the the fact that it was kind of a connected through piece? You know, uh, not much because just because of the, the name of the project and the fact that each month was the name of the composition you know people caught on pretty fast <laughs> you know i released the duet it says january and then people go oh i guess something's going to come out in february you know so that the one thing that i did notice which i found really interesting and, and goes to what you were talking about was just yeah the, there were a lot of comments where people said well where is the album where can i where can i find the album so there was this expectation that that, well, of course, there's got to be some traditional way to, to listen to this. So that was that was kind of interesting to see a little bit of this philosophical clash happening. Now, of course, people can listen to the album. <laughs> right. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the time, it was I had I kept saying, no, no, it's just here. That's it. That's it. It's the only place you can hear it. 
So will you talk about the transition from this as a series of duets to uh, an album with the same five people playing all of the music? Yeah, I mean, basically, what I discovered in orchestrating it out for a larger group was that, um, how do I say this? Basically, to make a duet work, you are so limited in terms of the voices. You only have two voices, so you have to make every note of that composition count. You have to make it sound full, even though there's only two people. And so I realized that I wrote the compositions in a way where once you expanded it out to five people, it was actually quite easy because the, the most important DNA of the composition was in there. And, and, and once you spread it out to five people, then it was actually like, oh, okay, you can kind of handle this part, you handle this part. Uh, in fact, since we have room and we have uh, these extra people, how about you add a layer here? How about you do this? So it, was, it actually kind of ended up being a very organic um, kind of structure to fill once they were uh, reading, these, reading these tunes. This might come out sounding stupid, but I'll say it anyway, because never fear. Yeah. Does it fe- does it feel like different music? I mean, like if you listen to January as it was originally released in January now, I mean, there's so much more in one sense. There's so much more going on, but, but it's not. But more is not necessarily, you know, it's just it's just different. It's not it's not better or worse, but it is very different. It seems to me, char- you know, in terms yeah. of its character. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. You know, I mean, if you're going to. If you're going to go to the effort of releasing 12 pieces of duets and then you're going to follow it up and actually do a larger ensemble version of it, my hope was that it really would sound like its own statement and it would be its own universe. And it, and it did come out that way. And there were choices that I made to even accentuate difference, things like on the album, uh, you know, as, as you know, I play bassoon. So I added bassoon layering to create an orchestral sense on some tracks. I used effects pedals. Uh, as did Gilad. So I really tried to push it into this other landscape so that both both statements could kind of stand on their own and be, be different experiences. I, in my mind, it's sort of like the duets are the close-up, intimate experience, and then the, the group version is the more energetic, uh, larger-than-life version of these compositions. break from the music so I can remind you about supporting the jazz session. Go to patreon.com slash the jazz session today for just five bucks a month. You get a bonus episode each month. Now I made January's bonus episode available to everyone. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you'll find it either right before this in your podcast feed. If you're a subscriber to the jazz session, or you can also find it at the jazz Just look for the post right before this one with Ben Wendell. You'll find the January bonus episode with its 
includes uh, extra material from the Tim LaFave interview. It's got a review of Winter Jazz Fest. Plus, I wanted to introduce you to this soul singer I learned about recently who is just totally blowing me away. So please go listen to it. And if you like what you hear and you want to help me keep making this show, and if you'd also like to receive bonus content every month, you can become a member for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash the jazz session. Now, if we reach 100 subscribers, the show will go to three episodes a month instead of two. And if we make it to 200 subscribers, the show will go weekly. Plus, in March, I'm going to announce a major new membership initiative, which I'm pretty excited about. And you can get in on the ground floor by joining right now. Thanks to Jason, the newest supporter of the show. Glad to have you on board. And now, back to the episode. Casting your mind back a little, what was it like when you played this music at the Vanguard during that during that run? Were you surprised by by anything? Uh, what was it like to be there? I mean, that was literally uh, every cliche I can think of. I'm going to say. I mean, it was a bucket list experience in every way. It was the band sounded incredible. Uh, the, the honor of playing there. The, the we had an, a, just an amazing turnout. Like almost every night was completely sold out. Uh, the energy in the room was just incredible. Everything about it. I literally said halfway through the run, I said on the microphone, "I'm I'm living, I'm living in in a memory right now." Like I I I it's hard to explain, but basically, I was trying to say like I know that I'm having this pivotal experience. This is this is something that I will take to the grave that that I'll never forget, and I'm right in the middle of it, and I can't believe it's happening. So it was really it was really that like that kind of experience. That's pretty amazing. I mean, and it's it is it's great that you were able to kind of be aware of that. Like it didn't just pass by, but you were aware of oh, this is something I should take particular notice of. Yeah, I was so grateful. You know, I talked about it a lot while I was there. You know, the the first time I played there was with Gerald Clayton and he would talk, we, we would have conversations about this. He would talk a lot about the spirits in the room and, um, and, and how friendly they are and how benevolent they are and how supportive they are. And, and I really agree. You, you go, you go in there and it doesn't feel like this cold, intimidating room. It's like the opposite. It feels like there's so much, joy and energy and creativity that's been absorbed into the walls and the floor. And so you get on that stage and it's like, there's this power uh, that you, that you feel this, you feel this presence, this helpful presence. And so 
I, I thought that my experience playing there, leading a group, that I would actually be very nervous and have a difficult time being present in the moment and enjoying the process. But, but it was quite the opposite. I, I, felt very, I felt very present. And the musicians, of course, playing with those world-class musicians and the way they played together, it just it, 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 it felt like a very empowering experience. And I, of course, haven't performed there, but I've been there a lot. And I, I feel like the Vanguard kind of puts the crowd on the performer's side as well. Like people walk into the Vanguard. I know I certainly do um, with, you know, varying levels of conception of the history there, but certainly with some sense that this is the village Vanguard, for God's sake. And you you kind of want your experience there to be worthy of the place where you are. And I, I, I just I noticed that when I've been there with people, they are very much expecting something really really great to happen and really wanting to contribute, you know, to that happening. I just, it feels like at least from the, from the crowd side of things, uh, I've always felt like there was just a really kind of unified and, and supportive vibe, uh, among the people because everyone wants to be part of something cool at the village Vanguard, no matter how many times you go there in my experience. I completely agree. And, and, and it cannot be said enough, the, the power and importance of the audience and the energy of the audience and how much that contributes to the way a band plays. And you, you, you know, you walk on stage and before you play a single note, you can feel, you can already feel if it's going to be a good night based on the audience and, and in the Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> most nights you're there as you walk on stage, you, you already feel this, this, this support and anticipation that kind of buoys you. Uh, into playing your best. I mentioned at the top of this uh, program that you are touring this month, so folks kind of uh, from the the Midwest over get a chance uh, now to see uh, the Seasons Project. Uh, Will you just uh, tell folks where you're going to be and when? Yeah, uh, February 1st and 2nd, uh, we're going to be in Los Angeles at the famed Blue Whale downtown. Uh, Then we continue on to the Quamba Jazz Center in Santa Cruz on February 4th. Uh, and then we're playing at a place called the Art Boutique Music Hall in San Jose on February 5th. That's a really cool spot. Uh, then on to Dazzle in uh, Denver, Colorado on February 7th. And then February 8th, we go to Minneapolis. We're playing at the Parkway Theater. And finally, we end in Chicago at a great space called the Constellation. So, folks, if you are listening to this as it's released in the year 2019, I'll also point out, because uh, these do tend to get listened to in in all years, but if you're listening to this on uh, February 1st, 2019, the tour starts tonight, uh, so make sure if uh, you're anywhere near where Ben's going to be that you go check this out.
a million different things going on but one of the other ones i wanted to talk about and maybe i guess starting here because it is in some senses similar to what we've been talking about is that you have been doing another series of video recordings playing standards in this mm. duet format i just thought maybe you could say a few words about that yeah you know um gosh i it's that's another thing i've always wanted to do uh which is essentially you know, as a as a modern day working instrumentalist, uh, it, I, it you know ninety eight percent of all of the music I play as a sideman, as a leader, on tour is original music, and it was just occurring to me that I just never get the opportunities to play standards uh, anymore. There's just there's just less and less of those opportunities, for, you know, in general and. And I was thinking about the New York scene and how unbelievable all of these musicians are when they play standards and how they're still reinventing the, this body of work in, in new and inventive ways. So as is kind of the way nowadays, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, to learn how to use a video rig and how to mix audio. And I just decided I'm going to start the series out of literally the middle room of my apartment and I'm going to invite all of the all of the cats from the scene to come over and play a tune with me. I I don't know how long this series is going to go on. I, you know I, I I do it when I'm home and I have time. But I I'd like to go to you know at least a hundred episodes and really try and get a wide spectrum of the scene because I think there's something about there's something about seeing a player play a standard that that shows you something about his or her process in in a way that actually has context. For, for a lot of people. I, I, I don't know if you agree or not, but, you know, you know, it's one thing to hear a player play modern instrumental music or maybe their originals. It's another thing to hear them play a standard you've heard a hundred times by a hundred artists and see how they do it. So that's... It's that's funny kind of, that you say that kind of, yeah. because I, I do really think... Um, and I'm, I'm not going to by any means suggest oh, everybody needs to play standards or any of that, but just taking at face yeah. value what it is that you're actually doing. I do find that when people are playing a tune that I know, uh, the, all of the, okay, is this the melody? And okay, now I kind of get what the form is. And okay, all of that is already taken care of because once it's, you know, body and soul yeah. or night and day or whatever, I'm like, okay, I know where I am now. So now I can, I can get past all of the initial, what is this piece of music? And let me try and figure out where I am and what's going on and who's improvising what. I can get right into the the quote-unquote meat of it not that that other part is is not also meaty but it, it definitely does put you on some kind of solid ground as a listener i you know i i noticed as soon as i started watching your standard series i was like oh cool yeah i can really i can really see like where the some of the chances are being taken here because i know what it would sound like if you just played it straight down you know right off exactly. the off the lead sheet and so for so for me you know a part of the reason i'm doing it is it's a it's a perfect excuse to reach out and play with musicians that I just don't play with, you know? I mean, so, sometimes you just don't end up playing with people in your scene because that's just how it is, you know? So it's an excuse to do that. It's an, it's an excuse to reconnect with this music that I love. 
And, um, and then also it's just been really fun because people come in, we have no predetermined plan and very often we're, we're creating arrangements just on the fly right there. <laughs> and I really love, I really love that element that I, I, I invite someone over that I've maybe never played with before and we just find our way together and we say, okay, well, how about we try this? What about that? You know? And, uh, like, for example, uh, I'm trying to think of one, like, uh, I did, uh, Lazy Bird with, uh, Lage Lund, who I've, I've played with him a little bit, uh, like in Matt Brewer's group and whatnot, but I would have never thought to play a tune like that, like really slow, like we did. And, and the, just the way he, he plays underneath me with the, with his chord structures, and it's just such an interesting, unique take on that tune. And so each, each of these meetings has, has kind of been like that, where where they come in and and I can't, I I don't know how it's going to go, but I know it's not going to be the traditional straight ahead way. One of my favorite episodes so far, um, and I think part of it is just because you you almost never hear a singer and a horn player together. Um, but the mm. one with Sachel Basandani, uh, I thought mm. was really was really wonderful and just. Like I pretty much all of these, as far as I've heard so far, it just it had a very effortless feeling, even though it's essentially you know it's out there with no net whatsoever. I mean, there's just there's two single line players, you yeah. know, one of whom is is singing the standard, and you just you just don't ever get to hear that. And I thought it I thought it was really 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 wonderful. I really I really dug that one a lot. For... I think you know it's it's such, I didn't plan it this way. You know, playing in a duet format is really hard. I don't know if people, you know, <laughs> the musicians listening to the, your podcast, but I mean, it, I, I really, outside of just playing solo on your own, I, I think duet is so challenging. You know, there's so much you're responsible for, you know, the time, the form. And, um, but I, I don't know. It, it's for some reason, I just always love the intimacy of the duet. And it's, I'm realizing now it's been such a big part of my creative output. I, I you know, I did a duo album with, uh, Dan Tepfer years ago, and then I did the seasons duets, and now I'm doing this. And, and also I've done a lot of duet playing with the, the people that I work with regularly, like Gerald Clayton and Aaron Parks. So there's just something about it that I, that I love that, that, that I, I feel like makes you lean in and listen in a different way. Thank you. 
we started this interview talking about the uses of uh, technology to reach people in different ways. And you are involved with a band that at least to my way of thinking, uh, despite the fact that it plays, you know, improvised, uh, often collectively improvised music is kind of followed the same way, you know, cool rock bands are. And that's Kneebody. And I feel like you guys are really skilled at not only at interacting with people online, but at getting them to kind of amplify what you do and, and take part in this whole knee body experience. I mean, when you guys are on tour, uh, as you were this past fall, I really enjoyed watching all of the social media interactions that were going on. Um, and just the way in which knee body, like, you know, just tours like a rock band. I mean, from, you know, from, from my point of view, which I think is really cool. I mean, it's just like, Oh yeah, knee body's coming to town. Let's all go, you know, Instagram our, our bits of it and Snapchat them. And, it just that to me is like uh, it it gives me a lot of a hope um you know as a middle-aged dude that people are finding ways <laughs> to make this music really exciting um and to connect with people who uh, are not my age which i think is really really awesome i don't know if that if that mirrors your experience at all but i really like it. yeah i mean you know god it's 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 just you know this this whole thing social media it's 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 an inescapable it's it's the angel and it's the devil it's all it's everything at once you know and and when it's used when it's used in in ways that actually um expresses like sort of the the best hopes and aspirations of those platforms then it can be really fabulous and i've seen that happen i've seen i've experienced interacting with people all over the world through through these these platforms uh, in a way that's been so positive and so cool and so utterly impossible 20 years ago <laughs> that I really, I really love that aspect um, of the technology. Of course, there's a dark side, and um, I, I don't know. I think we're all just trying to like ride that line. In our, in our band, Kneebody, you know, yeah, you're right to say that we're kind of more like a rock band in the sense that yeah, we don't have subs. We're we're just a we're a band. We're a band of brothers that have played together a really long time and the identity and sound of this band is literally the direct culmination of these five individuals coming together and playing together and writing together. And I'm really proud of that because you just don't see that too often in, in this world that we quote unquote call jazz. You know, I mean, you've got, uh, I don't know the bad plus it's, it's, there's just not a lot of groups that, that have lasted this long. And there's just a real power to that, you know, versus for example, just putting together five random, you know, badasses from the New York scene to play a, a gig. And uh, I don't know, I could be totally wrong about this next thing I'm going to say, but I feel like, uh, I feel like Bowie using, uh, Donnie McCaslin and those guys on his last yeah. album also was a bit of a shift in the world. Like when I now look at, and I know, uh, you know, Donnie's band, uh, you guys toured with, with uh, together as well in that, in the September tour. And, but when I kind of look yeah. at like how Donnie McCaslin and Mark Juliana and, you know, and Jason, and actually the, the previous episode of this show had Tim LaFave on it. When I kind of look at those guys now, um, and the way people react to them, it has more of a rock and pop feel. And I, I for one, think that's pretty cool. And I think it kind of, I don't know if it's opening a door, but I do feel like it's at least, it's at least holding a door open <laughs> for, for people to kind of 
treat this music more popularly again, which I which I really dig. And obviously, Kneebody was doing what it's been doing many, many, many years before these guys were on Blackstar. But I, I do feel like that was kind of a profile-raising thing for the idea of improvising music, musicians as a band, kind of touring the way bands tour. And that, to me, I really I really dig. I think it's a super positive thing. But I'm willing I to think, I mean, not be agreed with. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's all right. I mean, I think, yeah, I think... I think right now we're we're seeing um, uh, kind of a rebirth of uh, not a rebirth, but you know, honestly, when you talk to a lot of people, what they say the 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 issue for this music has always been branding. <laughs> sure. So so what I, what I've sensed over the last ten years is, in a positive way, sort of the the death of the old view of what this music is, you know, that, that it's the music you hear at yacht clubs and at a, at a, at a restaurant in the background. All I, I'm sort of seeing the death of that, that I'm seeing that younger generations don't associate this music with those things, but in, instead they're associating it with, you know, labels like brain feeder or, or the David Bowie album or, you know, so, what, what I'm seeing is this this re, resurgence of this music in, in a way, as, kind of as a result of it, it shaking off its old skin. And then also, you know, there's that old, I don't know who said this quote, but there's that quote, you know, jazz music is the music that jazz musicians play in the time that they are living in. Right. And so I also, I also just think it's a, a, a honest, just a natural, organic thing that's happening which is you know all these people um you know uh yeah donnie mccaslin mark juliana kamasi washington terrace martin robert, robert glasper, glasper. yeah <laughs> yeah it's this is like this is this is just what happens this is you have people coming from this tradition of this incredible incredibly important black american music and you you have these incredibly high level skilled musicians that are just taking this tradition of improvised music and uh, and uh, and just expressing it through what they grew up with, you know. So, so to me, it's it's not even that it's not even that crazy that it would that it would be uh, doing well or, or making sense at this moment, you know. I mean, you look at most of the people that I just mentioned. I mean, we we literally grew up during the birth of hip hop, during the birth of modern EDM. And how how can you not incorporate those things into what you write and play? It's it's part of what you grew up with. Yeah, you have to like make you know, a conscious so. effort to ignore those influences exactly. if you're not going to put them in there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like Robert Glasper's so, recent run at, at the Blue Note, where uh, I mean, you know essentially incredible. everything happened. Like you know from exactly. these ho- super high level improvisers to a reunion of the the original band that was called Black Star. Um, you know, with uh, Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli, yeah, and, and I mean, just Talib Kweli, yeah. yeah, all this amazing stuff happened, and that's because you're exactly Robert right. That's because that's where he's, that's who he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I think uh, I think what we're seeing right now is is awesome. I hope I hope this wave continues, and uh, because the truth is that most younger musicians or just people, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, like you truly do not have any biases or opinions as to what is good music or bad music 
what is complex music, what is simple music. Like, the brain doesn't work that way. I, I think as this music gets out there, I think there's plenty of people that are just going to like it because they like it, and that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know well, what I mean? So, I, so. Let's, from your lips to God's ears, as the old, uh, the, the old yeah. saying goes. people's uh like press releases for albums and stuff there's always the obligatory paragraph about all the other stuff that the person is involved in and for most of the kinds of press releases that i get it's this person is also involved in and then the names of like six other people who play very similar music to the person that we're talking about in yours you get to it and it's like this person is also involved in and it's as if someone just filled in like six totally random unconnected Oh yeah, like fil- film scoring for this and this classical record and playing with this member of the Smashing Pumpkins and doing this, which I just think is awesome. And first of all, actually merits that paragraph being in a press release that concerns you <laughs> as opposed to how it normally Thank is. You. And and second of all, I just think is really is really cool. I it I, it speaks to me of someone who is just saying, oh yeah, this sounds interesting. Let me see what that would be like. And that seems like a pretty good way to make to make music. It's a Duke Ellington quote, but I was just reminded of it watching the Quincy Jones documentary, which is absolutely incredible. And it's real simple. There's good music and there's bad music. And I'm interested in good music, and I don't really care what genre it falls under. I just want to work with cool and compelling artists. And um, and I, I think it's... I, and I just want the, the people that I work with to reflect my taste. And my taste is, is just not... Uh, specific to just this this narrow view of this specific genre that we, well, some of us call jazz and some don't. Uh, I love everything, and I want to play play with all musicians from all walks of life. So, so I'm I'm proud that my resume, yeah, has film scoring, has classical musicians, has you know Snoop Dogg, has Prince, has you know. It's, I, I'm proud that it's all over the map. Uh, because that's that's who I am, and that's kind of how I see myself and how I want to be seen. And uh, using my very behind-the-scenes research method, which is called I Follow You on Instagram, am I right in thinking that you either are now or have very recently been back in the studio doing some more recording? 
Yeah, so I um, I was fortunate enough to receive uh, something called the Chamber Music America New Works Grant. Uh, For the fourth time, right? Third time. Yeah. Oh, third time, Which okay. Pretty, uh, yeah, no, that bit, he, he, he was counting. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. I think, I, I think I'm one of the very few folks that have won it that many times. It's an incredible grant, and it's very simple. It, it, it you know, supports you in writing new music, premiering new music, recording new music. So, uh, yeah, I have this new project called High Heart, and uh, I was able to put together this super band that included Gerald Clayton. And Shy Maestro uh, sharing keyboard duties, uh, Nate Wood on drums, uh, Joe Sanders on bass, and the fabulous uh, young vocalist named Michael Mayo, who uh, was in the Thelonious Monk Institute and then recently got to tour with Herbie. So I wrote this new body of work, did a bunch of videos. Uh, I have no idea when I'm going to release that music, but I'm, I'm super proud of it. And actually, you know, maybe we'll have to save it for a different podcast, but just since we've been talking about social media so much, that project is actually uh, kind of my commentary on the other side of it all, on, on maybe the darker side of technology and, and cell phones and, and kind of what it's doing to all of us. So, and so High Heart, high heart is a, a little play on the phrase high art, low art. And so uh, it's high heart is in how do you how do you stay positive how do you how do you create things that you're proud of in a in a world that's full of noise? And since um, you mentioned so, there's a vocalist, uh, is it, are these vocals with words? And if so, did you write the lyrics for the second? Yeah, so I deliberately chose not to write words. Okay, uh, Michael is. Uh, he is, you know, as you will hear, or at some point, or if you haven't already, Michael is 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 literally an instrument with his voice. He can sing anything. <laughs> he can sing the most crazy, complicated, intervolic, melodic stuff I've ever written with perfect intonation and accuracy. So, I decided to just. Uh, I didn't want to, even though this project has thematic elements to it i didn't want to uh, hit it on the nose with words so i just i just kept it uh, wordless uh we mentioned earlier in the show that if you're listening to this around the time it was released february 1st 2019 uh ben's west coast into the midwest tour starts tonight uh in los angeles and uh you should get there tonight and tomorrow uh other dates available as we mentioned earlier and uh, you can find out online as well but uh for folks who live like i do in the other part of the country uh all is not lost you have uh, some more chances to see uh, the seasons band and uh, ben tell us when those are uh, yeah, so March 29th, we'll be uh, playing in Philadelphia at Chris's Cafe. March 30th, we'll play in Washington, D.C. I, I don't think the venue's been announced yet, but it'll be on my website. And then finally, uh, I'll be bringing back the Seasons Band to the Vanguard one last time, and that will be May 14th to the 19th, May 14th to the 19th. My guest for the show has been Ben Wendell. Uh, his most recent recording is Seasons. It's it's really, really wonderful. And, but uh, yes, you should absolutely listen to the recording, but make sure you also go back uh, and watch the original Seasons project. You can do that at benwendell.com. Um, so you can kind of get the Ben's original conception of the music and then how it's, how it's changed as well. Uh, ben, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm really glad you came back and uh, wish you all the best and hope you'll come back again. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. 
the show thanks to ben wendell for being my guest this time out thanks to the respect sextet for the theme music dave rabel designed the logo on facebook you'll find the show at facebook.com slash the jazz session it's on twitter at jazz sesh j-a-z-z-s-e-s-h now on instagram at the jazz session you'll find me personally on twitter and instagram at jason d crane Please do rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. It really does help. Don't forget to become a supporter at patreon.com slash thejazzsession. And don't forget, you can find the January bonus episode available to the general public at thejazzsession.com. Or if you are a subscriber to this show already, it's the podcast right before this one. New episodes come out on the 1st to the 15th of the month. On the 15th, it'll be Harpist Brandy Younger. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.